friends, welcome to Log On at 11, Spurgeon Baptist Church's online presence, whilst we are still in this current uh, COVID season. Uh, as has become our practice, we're going to follow a little liturgy just to hold our worship together. Uh, everything in bold type, if you've got a print copy in front of you, everything in bold type is what we say together. Everything in light type, I'll say on my own. Uh, if you're following on the screen, everything in yellow type is what we say together. So let's begin. In the beginning, before time, before people, before the world began, God was. Here and now, among us, beside us, enlisting the people of the earth for the purposes of heaven, God is. In the future, when we will have turned to dust and all we know has found its fulfilment, God will be. Let us pray. Loving God, you are faithful, just and forgiving. Help us now to grasp the greatness of your love. Where we have failed to love and loved to hurt, forgive us and heal us. Where we have scorned difference and have been indifferent to those in need, forgive us and heal us. Where we have spoken harsh words to others and have been quick to take offence ourselves, forgive us and heal us. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Good morning. Previously you saw me in my old shed, which has been replaced with this nice new one. Welcome to my shed. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein, or in the modern language, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And that's from Psalm 24. Looking at God's creativity, can you imagine the mind that thought up all the different kinds of animals on the earth? The plant life, the sea life, the rocks and the minerals. It's a staggering amount of diversity and complexity, and yet so interdependent. I've long been an admirer of Sir David Attenborough, best known for his many documentaries on the natural world and his passion for environmental protection. His detailed analysis of wildlife and plants is fascinating. However, you don't have to go very far to find interesting wildlife and plants close to where we live, from spiders in our homes to the friendly robin. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? In this case, Robin has a special friend. He's called Mike, and you may see him looking after the gardens at the church centre and feeding the Robin. We need to thank our Creator and care for our world. Every plant, animal and insect is a part of God's creation and has a purpose although it's not always apparent. 
Hedgehogs are useful to gardeners as they eat slugs which attack our young plants. Even our tissue waste can be put to good environmental use. Scraps of discarded vegetables and fruit can be turned into rich compost to feed our plants. Can you see the worms working in the compost? After several months, when the compost is ready, it can be transferred to the soil, ready for feeding the new plants, and so the cycle continues. How many of you collect conkers? We've had a few buried around our garden by squirrels, which are now growing up quickly as horse chestnut trees. And here's one, which was planted in a flower pot. Some weeds, such as dandelions, are the scourge of gardeners, producing their flowers early in the year, strong roots and lots of seeds. Jesus spoke about the effects of weeds on crops. Because dandelions are in flower before most others, they are very beneficial to bees, which not only produce honey, but carry out essential pollination of plants. I'm sure that you are familiar with the seeds of dandelions. Have you tried to blow them all out in one breath? Bees are under threat from insecticides. They are so important to us in pollinating fruit trees, vegetables and flowers. I took a trip to visit a couple of beekeeping friends who you might recognise. Who we were hoping, we were hoping to develop a queen from. They're living in what they call a nuke. Because a beehive won't work without a queen in charge. I was just saying that many of the bees are arriving and their legs look as if they're coloured because they've got what we call pollen baskets. They collect lots of pollen from flowers and they bring it back to the hive because it, it, it provides protein for the queen. The bees mix it with nectar and they produce really bees. important, like all pollinators, because without bees transferring pollen from, from different types of flowers or, or fruit to others, you won't get all sorts of things. You wouldn't get denim because you wouldn't get cotton. You wouldn't get such a huge variety of uh, tomatoes or apples or pears. Lots of different varieties would die out because they wouldn't get fertilised by the bees and wasps and other creatures, butterfly. Not just honeybees, but, you know, um, other bees as well um, that go around, solitary bees, bumblebees. Uh, Ruth is explaining the importance of the queen bee to maintain the colony. Philip is explaining the importance of bees to our survival how they collect the nectar and bring it back to their hive. And now for something different, but connected to bees. A riddle. Bees are mentioned several times in the Bible. How many of you have seen the image on a tin or bottle of golden syrup? The quotation can be found in the Old Testament book of Judges, chapter 14. It's from a riddle which Samson set for the Philistines. You can find it by reading the whole story in Judges chapter 14. Meanwhile, back to our main theme. 
Here's the challenge. What can you do to protect God's great creation? See you next time. So Moses chiselled out two stone tablets like the first ones, went up Mount Sinai early in the morning, as the Lord has commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and the gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to the thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. For the next few weeks, I, I want to just think about what what is God like? Uh, it must be a question that has occurred to you at some point in your life. I think it's a question that occurs to most human beings, actually. I mean, there are a couple of questions that occur for most of us. The first is, is there a God? Uh, and if the second one is, if there is a God, what is God like? Uh, and it's a conversation, <coughs> excuse me, that I had many, many times with soldiers when I was in the army, because there is... I mean, this is why I say most human beings at some point in their lives have asked that question, because when I was working with soldiers, it was a question that came up fairly regularly. Uh, some had come to the view that there was absolutely no God. There could not be a God, given the state of the world and the way that human beings treated one another. Uh, and others came to the opposite view for exactly the same reasons, which again, I found interesting. Uh, so we take, those of us that are Christian people, we obviously take the view that there is a God. Uh, so the second question uh, that I posed, what is God like? That's, uh, that becomes a significant question, doesn't it? Um, not does God exist, but what is he like? Or, well, he, she, it, they, distant character, character that's near to us, a loving, kind God, angry God, wrathful, smiting. Uh, one or two of my army friends were very keen on a God who smites. <laughs> uh, <coughs> Uh, and they liked they liked some of the uh, Old Testament warry stuff much better than they liked uh, some of the Jesus stuff, which they thought was uh, a little bit weak until we came to the cross and we started to talk together about the cross and the willingness of an innocent man to lay down his life for the sake of those whom he loved, which, of course, is everybody. Uh, that changed the complexion of the conversation somewhat. So a loving God, a kind God, an angry God, a wrathful God. Is God good for us? 
is God good for the world? Is God good for the world? Or is he bad for us and bad for the world? Uh, I think all these things are questions that float around in people's heads from time to time. And again, you know, depending on your background, your upbringing, whether you had exposure to church and clergy in your formative years, uh, whether or not you were encouraged to explore when you were a teenager, uh, I think all of these things, you know, have a bearing. Uh, uh, whether or not your experience of church and Christian people was positive or negative, the, these all impact on what you think of God and whether you think God is a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, A.W. Tozer, who's a 20th century <coughs> theologian, says this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And that is a staggering thing, isn't it, for him to say, particularly when we live in a culture, certainly in the United Kingdom, which is ambivalent at best about the possibility of God. Uh, Mark Twain. Well, no, actually, let me give you the quote and then we'll I'll tell you where we think it might have come from. Um, this, this little quote comes up quite often God created man in his own image and man being a gentleman returned to the favour um, Mark Twain gets attributed to that very regularly it might have been a, a philosopher called Jean-Jacques Rousseau we we don't really know for sure who said that <clears throat> but it absolutely rings true doesn't it uh, we all have a tendency to do this we make God in our own image um, much of what I'm going to be sharing with you over the next few weeks comes from this book. Uh, God has a name. Uh, it's by John Mark Comer. I think that's how you pronounce his surname. He's an American pastor from Oregon on the west coast of America. Uh, he was the pastor of a very large church and stepped away from that to run a slightly smaller fellowship uh, by American standards, we should say. Uh, but I've I've read a couple of books by him. I really like the way that he expresses himself. His writing is slightly idiosyncratic um, in the way that the text is laid out on the page. It's not not like most books that you read, which you know just straightforward paragraphs. And uh, it, there are odd lines. And I think he writes as he speaks. I mean, I recognise some stuff from the way that I make notes for myself to preach from, you know, I'll, I'll make notes. Uh, I don't preach from a full manuscript, I make notes. And I think some of the stuff that's in this book, if he was talking to you, this is the way he would say stuff. I find that quite engaging. You might find it quite irritating, but you know, it's, it's a book that's worth picking up um, because as I've said, all of what I'm going to say over the next four or five weeks is based around <clears throat> around what he writes. Uh, and two verses in Exodus 34 were the verses that we read, that we had for our reading. Uh, and the whole book is an exposition of those few verses, really. And he does the thing very helpfully for me, uh, and which is why I wanted to share it with you, because I think it is really, really helpful. Anyway, he, he writes about um, an American... Uh, academic 
theologian who is tasked with training uh, others for ministry and to become theologians. And he says whenever he gets a new intake of students, theology students, uh, at the start of the course, he gives them two surveys to fill in. The first is about the student. Uh, what do you dislike? What do you believe? Etc. Etc. And the second <clears throat> is about God. And it's the same set of questions, basically. What do you think God dislikes? Etc. Ninety percent of the time, the answers were exactly the same, apparently. Interesting, isn't it? What we think about God says a lot about us. And in fact, the oldest temptation in the book, actually, is for us to be God. Um, that's that's the first and the oldest temptation that is recorded in the Bible when Adam and Eve are in the garden and Satan uh, is in conversation with Eve, with the woman. Uh, did God say you can't eat any of the fruit in the garden? Oh no, you can eat any fruit you like except for fruit from that tree because if you eat that fruit you'll die. Uh, and Satan says, well, I don't know about that. Do you? I think if you eat that fruit, you'll become like God. And of course, that's the temptation. And that's the temptation that the human beings fall for. And it's the beginning uh, <clears throat> of all of our problems. <clears throat> and this, this is the uh, besetting temptation for all of us. We want to be the ones that say what is right and wrong. We want to be the ones that set the pace, we want to be the ones that set the tone. We are the ones. And you, this is prevalent in our culture. It's everywhere in our culture. Uh, and you find this happening fairly regularly. There are times when uh, different sets of values bump up against one another and trying to judge which is right and which is wrong or, or which set our values will hold precedence um, is really quite difficult and quite tangled. But it's because we all think that we're God and we're very clear about our rights, aren't we? We have a right to say this, do this, behave in that way, uh, encourage that sort of behaviour, despise that sort of behaviour. You know, it, it, it all comes down to who do we think we are? <laughs> um, so it, it, the other thing which is difficult sometimes to me is everyone's a theologian. Uh, a theologian is someone who thinks about God. That's basically it, uh, which means pretty well every human being at some time in their life. Uh, and for someone like me who's had a little bit of training and gets paid to do this, <laughs> uh, and that belongs to a a church, uh, a Baptist, the, the Baptist church, uh, which encourages uh, conversation and uh, inquiry and engagement. So not a not a paternalistic approach where the pastor says this is what you should believe, but a you know an open approach where there should be dialogue between us and the encouragement to listen and to speak uh, and to discover together what we might think uh, God is up to and doing among us. I mean, that's that's really the whole Baptist approach. Um, 
it's quite hard sometimes, you know, when everybody's saying, well, I think this and I think that. And how do we discern where God is in all of this? How do we understand what God is up to? Um, you know, we we need to be careful around all of this, obviously. Um, so if a theologian is just someone who thinks about God, uh, at least from time to time, that's everybody. Um, what we need to understand is that sometimes, in fact, probably a lot of the time, the conclusions that we might come to could be wrong, <laughs> which is why I'm always ready to listen and to think and to engage with you and with others as we try and work out what God is like and what God is up to. I think it is important to talk and to listen. It is important to ask questions, to think, to pray, to reflect. And I would encourage you uh, to do all of those things. Um, actually, we all think we know what God is like. But we might be wrong, mightn't we? Uh, and as someone who has been tasked with trying to lead others towards God and to try and help others understand what God might be like, I have to take this very seriously. And anyone that preaches uh, in whatever capacity also needs to take this very seriously. The charge that has been laid upon us is actually a very serious one and we need to engage with it properly. And although, you know, we'll have different differing amounts of time and differing intellectual capacity and uh, and because we are as we are and we all see things differently, you know, we just need to be aware of what we're doing when we come to God. Um, we need to be listening carefully and uh, attentive, I would say, to God's word uh, and to one another and listen carefully, uh, speak carefully. So our reading really is pivotal uh, for this understanding what God is like, uh, because that's the first place where you seem to get a full disclosure of God's character. Uh, we don't in in the book of Genesis, when God is dealing with the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, you get glimpses of God. I mean, all the stuff we did on the covenant uh, last year was about God revealing himself uh, in varying ways and at varying levels until you get to Jesus. And that it's in Jesus that we see that full revelation of what God is like. Um, so I would encourage you to reflect on the verses that we have from our reading uh, today, uh, because that's going to be the basis of everything we do for the next few weeks. And also to look at Jesus. So to read the Gospels alongside that and to be very attentive to what Jesus says and does. The Bible assumes that God can be known, not through guesswork. Um, but by God's self-revelation, by his own revelation of himself to us. Um, Christians believe that God reveals himself through his word, through the Bible written, uh, and also uh, ultimately through Jesus, the word made flesh. That's how we Christians understand God, through the lens of the Bible and through the character and personality of Jesus. He's the, the most certain and sure revelation of what God is like that we can find. That is what Christians would say, certainly what this Christian would say. Um, we've 
In the past, we've touched on the importance of names in the Bible. And we've noted that names are not just labels. Um, names actually say something about the person. Uh, so an, a name, Samuel, uh, means heard by God. Uh, and it's the name of the great Old Testament prophet, isn't it? And he hears from God and is heard by God. Um, so the name, a name is more than just a label. The name actually gives you something of the character and the essence of the person being described. And in the verses that we had read to us earlier, this is God's self-revelation for the first time. He says things about himself. This is my name, the Lord, compassionate, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin, not leaving the guilty unpunished, punishing the children and their children for the sin of their fathers to the third and fourth generation. That's a bit scary, that bit, isn't it? Well, we'll, we'll do all of that. We'll take each of those things over the next few weeks and just look at them in a bit more detail. And how does that affect us and the way that we see God? Uh, and I think there are some quite fascinating things uh, in the mix, in, in all of the things that God says about himself there. And I think if we take this seriously, this could be transformative in the way that we approach our relationship with God. Word of caution. Very often human beings want to find out stuff about people and things because they want to work out the best way to manipulate them. Uh, that's not what we're about with this little series. What we're about is trying to discover what God is like so that we can be more in love with him, really, uh, so that we can deepen the friendship, deepen the relationship. Uh, we have to remember that God is way bigger than we are and cannot be necessarily understood fully so what we may end up doing is catching glimpses of God's character um, we may not fully encapsulate everything about God in fact it would be I suspect impossible to do that but if we find that there are things about God that become clearer for us that's a good thing um, there will be some things that will remain a mystery for us, I guess, because that's just the way we are as human beings. Some of us will be um, picking up some things and others will be picking up other things. Um, and as we talk to one another, no doubt we'll get a much fuller picture uh, of what God is like. So, you know, God is bigger than we are, way bigger than we are. And there's got to be room for mystery in all of this. So it's not about tying down detail. It's about catching glimpses of God's character and perhaps our being in awe of his majesty. So if we come, I think, in humility, willing to learn, our understanding uh, of God, our love for God and our love for neighbour should grow. That is my prayer, friends.
and hopefully it's yours too. Amen. Let us pray. The threat of COVID is ever present, Lord, and we pray for those countries who are experiencing surges of the virus right now, India and Nepal, Japan, amongst others. We continue to pray for all those involved uh, in the fight against COVID, uh, for national and local government and medical agencies, uh, for those who are given uh, responsibility in terms of leadership, both nationally and locally, uh, for doctors, nurses and other healthcare professionals as they seek to get a grip of the situation in their own countries. We remain thankful for all that is happening in our own country. Thank you for the National Health Service, for our own uh, doctors, nurses and others uh, that support uh, medics in our country. Thank you for centres of excellence across our land and for the way in which research is carried out, work goes on, uh, at great pace and there are still um, many folk engaged with discovering how best to combat what is going on in our country and around the world. We pray that the work that is done in our country will have significant impact not just for us but for everyone everywhere, remembering that until everyone is safe, really no one is safe. We're aware, Lord, that there are lots of places around the world where violence is a, a very present reality. Uh, Gaza, Israel, the West Bank, you know, the whole relationship between uh, Israel and uh, Palestinians, such a troubled land, the land that you walked when you were on the earth. Uh, Will they ever know peace? Will they ever know reconciliation? We wonder sometimes, Lord. We feel so powerless and helpless as we watch the news. We are shocked at the number of innocent people that are caught up in this. And we know that as long as the violence continues, it gets ever more difficult to find a solution because vengeance becomes the key motivator on both sides of the equation. It is going to take something really dramatic, Lord, to change that situation. And apart from some sort of intervention from you, we find it hard to see how things might change there. We're also aware that there are changing weather patterns and the extreme uh, weather is happening around the place. Uh, natural forces, uh, tectonic plates shifting, so forth and so on. Congo, the volcanic eruption uh, just outside the city of Goma, a number of people having to uh, move quite quickly to get away from lava flows, uh, India. Uh, cyclone hitting the states of Orissa and West Bengal. We're very conscious, Lord, that the world isn't always a very stable place just in terms of its physicality. Uh, 
and people live in difficult places. Uh, we pray, Father, for those that have had to move quite quickly, for those that find themselves inundated uh, with water, um, for those who lose livelihoods, for those who have lost loved ones. We pray for all those that are grieving loss and ask that you would draw near to them by the power of your spirit. We pray for our friends. Please be all that they need in these days, Lord. Chris, Ken, Adrian and Hugh, Eric, Les, Dot, Margaret and Bob, Peter, Dennis and Shirley, Mary, Jay, Terry, Graham, Lauren and Lewis, Andy, Thelma, Richard, Naomi. We gather up all of our prayers together as we say the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. We say the canticle together. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now go forth into the world in peace. Be of good courage. Hold fast to that which is good. Render to no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the afflicted. Honour all people. Love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, rest upon you and remain with you always. Amen. Oh,